For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in in our serving, the one who teaches in his teachings, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We'll we'll continue a little bit further here in just a moment. We're going to look this morning at... uh, the idea of our rootedness in our community and particularly in the way that we live and serve and use our gifts and all of that and what God really intends. So I grew up, not everybody does, but I did. I grew up in a church-going family and grew up at the Colorado and Jackson Church of Christ, which is now the Southgate Church of Christ in San Angelo. Uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't have any confusion about whether or not we went to church or whether or not we are the church. That was something that that we understood from the beginning. It was taught to us from the very beginning of our childhood. And we understood that, you know, it's it's not something that you go to. Church is who you are. And I think that's what's missing in, in a lot of perspectives in our time now. Uh, church has become something that you either go to or maybe you watch online or whatever you do. And it's become an activity or in some cases, really, church has, has almost become a service. You may have heard me say before that often church is approached uh, like it's Burger King. Have it your way. That used to be their slogan. I'm not sure they still say that anymore. Do they say that anymore? I have no idea. Uh, but, you know, Burger King, you have it your way because you could go in and you could tell them I want it with this or without that or blah, 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 which for those of you who are younger is actually a fairly new thing. There was a time when you went to a hamburger place, especially a chain. You did not tell them what you did and did not want. You got what you wanted. You paid for it and you liked it. So there, you know, that was the way it was. I'm old enough, I can remember when McDonald's in San Angelo didn't even have seats. It was like, get your burger and get out of our face. That's the way it was. And then they put in seats and they purposefully, this has been documented, they purposefully made those seats as uncomfortable as possible so as to get you out of there. They did not want you sitting around wasting time when they could have somebody else come and eat the burger that they thought they should have. And so they were trying to get you out of there. It's really weird to go into a McDonald's and they're... Well, I would say they're nice to you. It really depends on which shift you get, okay? It's a small town, so I'm not going to go into details, but it depends on the shift that you get. Um, Sometimes, you know, you go in and it's friendly and the seats are comfortable and all of that kind of stuff, and the coffee might even be all right, which is really weird because McDonald's coffee used to be, you know, just a grade... I was going to say above, but that felt like a lie. A grade below Pennzoil, you know, 10W30. And... uh, now, sometimes you actually can get it and it's good. And that just seems so weird. Anyway, the revolution that took place was that even fast food places had to start customizing all of your orders. And, of course, that accelerated in the 2000s when people stopped just going in and saying, I would like a coffee or maybe a coffee with cream and sugar. And instead decided, you know, they wanted a coffee with lists of things that I'm pretty sure are names of demons from hell. And they put it in it like soy milk. I, I don't know. And they if it. 
If it didn't come from a cow, why are you putting it in your coffee? Anyway, the, the, all kinds of things. And I know some of you really like all kinds of potpourri and glade and stuff in your coffee. I understand what happens there. Anyway, that, that changed everything because people decided you've got to be able to customize just everything in the world till it came to a point. When we were in New York one time, we were out at lunch after church, which we used to uh, go to a big group of us from church. will go to lunch every Sunday. So pretty much from 10 o'clock, I think, like here is when church started till about 2.30 or 3 o'clock. We were with brothers and sisters every Sunday, and we loved that. Lots of really great fellowship. We'd go and, and probably sit way too long at the restaurant talking and visiting and everything else, and it was just wonderful. But we did have one friend who liked to over-customize. I swear this is what she did. She, I, I'm not really swearing. I've read that verse too. You know what I mean. Uh, but when she would look at the menu, she would find what she wanted, and then she would find some random other thing. She would order the random other thing and then customize it till it was this thing on the other page. And I watched this happen multiple times. Well, then they could never get it right. Okay, they just could not get it right because they were confused. They were like, okay, so you want, let's say it was a burger and a turkey sandwich. You want a burger, but you don't want beef. You want turkey. You want blah, blah, blah. And it, like everything would be changed. So if it was rye over here, suddenly it's rye over here. And it was just crazy. And they would sit there and the, the waitress never did figure out what she was doing. And so then when it came wrong, she would go, well, this isn't right at all. Well, how could it be? You know, you just you just changed every single ingredient on your sandwich and then changed the fries into cucumbers and did all of this stuff. I mean, it's, what is that over there even? And then she would complain and then she would get her meal for free. About the second, third time I went, wait a minute, I see what you're up to here. But we, we've become so... I don't know what nicer way to put it, okay? We've become so selfish that we expect everything to kind of come to us, to be done for us, and to be that kind of Burger King have it your way. And if everything's not right, we complain until it's exactly the way that we like it. And that's what we do. Now, let me ask you this. We just read in Romans the Spirit's vision, a part of it, for the church. Does it sound like it should be like that? No, not at all. Yet that's kind of what it's... Become And this is not just like a, uh, a small area thing. This is like across our country. When you, when you talk with people in different churches, this is, this is what's happening all over the place. Now, some people cater to it. They, they just go bend over backwards and try to cater that to that. And I understand that, and I understand the temptation to do that. Because you will gather all those people who wanted whatever that, you know, oddball sandwich was. You will get that. You can, you can grow a drive-through, have-it-your-way church. That can happen. Let me reword that. You can collect people at a drive through have it your way church. Whether or not there's spiritual growth in feeding that problem is a whole other question, isn't it? Because if all we do is create and kind of baptize a selfish Christianity, we aren't actually presenting or growing a kingdom that is rooted in real Christian faith and living. It sounds good because it makes numbers good, but it's not good. That law of unintended consequences will always just bite us, won't it? And we end up something we didn't intend to be. And there's evidence of that all over the place in the Christian world. Uh, years ago, a church called Willow Creek did a huge, massive study on whether or not their uh, efforts 
were working in order to grow people to have deeper roots in the Christian faith and to be stronger Christians. And they were a church that were very successful in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. They grew in incredible numbers. Uh, I think their membership at one point reached 20,000 people. Now, since then, there's been a scandal with a preacher. Mm, I always want to kick that. Uh, but it happens. There's been a scandal and there's been breakup and there's been all this. But at their peak, they, they were somewhere around, I think, 20,000 people. By every metric that a lot of uh, preachers look at, not, not myself, but a, a, lot of, a lot of preachers do, it goes by the three B's. Are you all familiar with the three B's? I know the Baptists in the room are familiar with the three B's because I think they made up this joke. Uh, but it's Bibles, budgets, and butts. Okay? That's, that's, that's their three. Sorry. That's their, that's, I didn't make it up. It's the Baptists. They made it up. But I'm borrowing it. Uh, but that's what they look at. So it's, it's, it's budgets and baptisms and, and the numbers of people in the pew. By that, incredibly successful. But they decided they wanted to dive deeper down into, but are people growing spiritually? Are they growing into a deeper understanding of the Word? Are they finding their place? And they had worked, worked hard on those things. It wasn't that they neglected them. But in catering to what a megachurch is expected to have, they were very successful but they found very lacking in spiritual growth. All of their metrics on what does it mean that we're making stronger Christians, they felt like they came up very, very short. And so they started doing a lot of study and a lot of prayer on, okay, how do we fix this and how do we get it right? And I think they probably went to a lot of the same places that we're going to go this morning. And we're just going to look at a few things this morning because it's really too, uh, too deep a subject to go too, too far. It starts here with giftedness. A good, strong Christian community, a good, strong Christian and a Christian in community needs to understand where they fit in God's kingdom and where their gifts can be used. Every person here and every person who has not yet baptized and is not yet here has or will have gifts given them by God to serve in the Christian community. Those gifts are varied. He gave just a short list in Romans 12. There's another list in 1 Corinthians 12. And neither of those is comprehensive and together not, they're not comprehensive. There are so many ways to serve in a church and to serve in the, as a Christian in the community and out around us and reaching people, serving people and loving people. But... In order for the church to be what it's supposed to be, and in order for a Christian to be what they're supposed to be, those gifts actually do have to be put into use somewhere. Okay? It's, it's got to happen. It's not a, a, a maybe. It's not, well, I'll get around to it. This is what we were created for. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, this is why your elders exist, this is why preachers exist, this is why other teachers exist, it's why the apostles existed, so that they could equip you to go out and use those gifts and use those abilities out in the church and in the community to do God's work, everybody doing their part. That's your homework. I didn't quote it, I just summarized it. Ephesians chapter 4. That's what God created us to do and to be as servants in His kingdom, using our gifts. We worry sometimes, I I know this because people have told me so, we worry sometimes that, well, but what if, you know, what's my gift? And And we maybe worry about that too much in terms of whether or not we get it wrong or whatever. Here's how you figure it out. Look at the opportunities God keeps throwing in front of you. 
God brings opportunities according to your gifts. You may say, but I don't think I have that gift. You could be wrong. You may. God may be waiting for you to enact it in order to really show you how much He's given it to you. A little bit of a, kind of like, you know, the second time that the Israelites crossed on dry ground. Nobody ever preaches that text. But it's the one that fascinates me. We talk about the crossing of the Red Sea. They also crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And that time, it was different. You know what the difference is? The first time, Moses takes his staff and parts the water and all that. The second time, the priests are to lead the way. And the water did not part until their feet touched the edge of the waters. Why? Act of faith. Proof that they trusted him. It's like that scene out of uh, one of the uh, Indiana Jones movies where it's the invisible bridge. It's just like that, where God wanted to see, do you really believe me? I'll believe it when your feet start moving. And I believe giftedness works this way sometimes. Where God has given you gifts, you have no clue that he's giving you until you finally say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I think there's people here who had the gift of, we were at an evangelism workshop yesterday over in Temple. Really, really good. I'm hoping that they'll come and do that here sometime. It's really good. And I think there are people who had the gift of sharing the gospel with people who have no clue that they have that gift because they've been too afraid to try. And God is just waiting for their foot to touch the water so that He can show them, listen, I've got you in this. And so sometimes the gift shows up because you've been obedient, because you've been faithful, and because you've trusted God. All of us do have them. I've had that verse up there a long time. I want it to sink in. All of, the, all of us have them, have different gifts. And I believe that God gives us gifts along the way as the needs arise. And, and sometimes we've, we've never been able to do something, and yet later we will be able to. I have a friend who is, is great at leading singing in small congregations. That's what he loves to do. Uh, if you knew him 30 years ago, he would tell you no such gift exists within 30 miles of him. But somewhere along the way, there was a need. He was obedient, and God blossomed a gift in him. And it came to be. And it was not there before. That's how you know it's from the Spirit, isn't it? It wasn't there before. But it's there now because he's obedient. We each have different gifts according to what? What's the next highlighted word here? Grace. I got, I haven't got a laser. You see that one right there? It's grace. And I think this is really important that we remember that it is because of grace that we have our giftedness. Uh, the world wants us to celebrate the things that we're kind of naturally gifted at. And I understand that. And some of those things are from God for His use in the kingdom. So, not setting those aside. But the world would have us... Puff up our pride in those gifts. Those things are for our blessing and they're for our fulfillment and they're for our, you know, I just want to go change the world and, and improve the world kind of stuff. Which I'm all, you know, there's something of a narcissism in thinking that God has, has just, the whole world has been waiting to get better until we showed up and learned how to sing, you know, some ukulele song over the rainbow. That's just going to change the world. But that's kind of the way the world thinks sometimes. If you can just be really talented at singing and strumming, you'll be able to just change the world. And that's not what he's talking about, is it? That's kind of our thoughts when we think about gifts and talents and everything. Those things can be used. I get it. 
But God thinks bigger than that. And so He looks at us and through His grace, meaning He's going to make us stronger where we were weak, not where we were already full of ourselves. He gives us gifts. And it's according to His grace. And I think that's there for this reason. And that's to keep us humble. Giftedness should not be a source of pride. It should be a source of humility. But by the grace of God, can I do this? Whether it's sharing the gospel with somebody or showing hospitality to a stranger or singing a song and, and, and lifting somebody's spirits and things like that. Uh, it's, it's from a place of this is all God. This is not me. And you do see people out in, uh, whether it's in the music industry or in athletics and things like that. There have been several good examples uh, of different athletes lately where they have very openly said, not the cheesy, you know, it's all a God sort of a thing where it feels like it's a little tacked on and maybe disingenuous, but really genuine, genuine to the point of taking some heat and even gentle persecution for what they've said, standing up and saying, listen, I don't do anything out here that I don't do because God enabled me to do this. And it's not because God cares about gymnastic routines or touchdowns in the biggest picture. It is, though, because he cares about that person. He cares about how they can be used to encourage, to strengthen, and to teach other people. It's not really about the scoreboard. It's about will it give this person an ability to share the grace of God. And there are people who are out there who are doing that. They figured out that the bigger gift they have is not actually the athletic talent. They figured out the biggest gift they have is the opportunity to share the Word of God. They figured out why they're really there. Kind of like Joseph. Joseph was apparently a really well-organized leader, but that wasn't why he was there, so that he could be a well-recognized, well-organized leader. Joseph was there to save lives to save his own family, and to be a part of the bigger story of God as the Messiah would come through his own family. There were bigger reasons that he was there. And it's all given to each of us by grace. So I read this passage uh, down to verse 8. Let's pick up in in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Hey, we need to understand the importance of our gifts, but we also need to understand the importance of what should drive them and what should be at the root of those gifts, and it's love. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and, and seek to show hospitality. I've put these in bold and gold Again, I really want us to catch some of these action words. If we're to be a loving community, if love is to be sincere, if we are really gifted and and Holy Spirit gifted people doing the will of God and the work of God, what's that actually look like? It looks like this. Look at these action words. Love, outdo in showing honor. Be fervent. Be excited. Isn't that interesting that this word is there? He actually tells us, I want you to be fervent in the Spirit. Fervor is an excitement and a zeal and an energy that you have to be about the Word of God. 
and to be about the work of God and to be about the people of God. That, that it's not just, you know, a, he didn't want a church full of Eeyores. He's not looking for fake people. Ugh, I'm not either. I can't stand it. No fake people, no cheesiness. That's why he starts with let love be genuine. No bumper sticker love, real stuff. But what that will still look like is that you are on fire for the work of God. That you would be, I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, you know when you're in a, a group of, of people that come from various congregations of, of the church, you, uh, you come across some differing convictions about what's appropriate or what's inappropriate, right? And so uh, sometimes that comes across in the way people do or don't express their gratitude or excitement or approval or things like that. So in this group of people we were in yesterday, it was people from some several different congregations. And um, you could tell that by what was going on. So some people were uh, from the background would be same as uh, some, not all, but some of you where it is the background where you're, you, you, you do this. If it's really exciting and really good, you go, You know, you know what that is, right? It's Church of Christ. Amen. It's also Church of Christ. I'm going to sleep. We never know which one it really is. Actually, I do. As a preacher, you learn the more energy it is, the more likely they're asleep. You know, (laughs) amen. (laughs) That guy fell asleep. You know how that works. So there was some of that. There was also a whole bunch of. All right, brother, preach it on. Let's go. There was that going on at the same time. It's coming from different places and, and in a few different accents. One of the brothers, really expressive, was uh, originally from Africa. There was just all kinds of stuff going on, and it was it was a really good day. And it's interesting because it's it's easy to think that the guy who just goes really didn't care about what was going on. That's not necessarily true. That may be as expressive a fervor as his grandmother ever let him get away with at church. You just got to understand. And that may for him have been the same thing as raising his hand and going, like he's on the Judge Roy scream. You, d- you don't know. You don't know. Because those guys sometimes on the roller coaster do the same thing because it's all they've ever been allowed to do. Good roller coaster. Amen. And that's all they do. So I've been on the roller coaster with those people. I know they exist. And when you, when you have that mix, you also sometimes have people who want to clap. And so at, at the very end of it, one side of the room, the same right side of the room that had been expressive all along, starts to clap. The other side of the room went, yeah, y'all know what that is too, don't you? And they really liked it too, but they were like, y'all getting carried away over there. You know, it was that sort of a thing because they clapped. Here's my thing for you in this, just, and I'm just on this one word down here in verse 11, but I think it's important. However you express it, at least express it. Okay? Feel free to do that. We're supposed to be fervent. But not just in that expression that it's rooted, that that zeal and that excitement and that that energy is rooted in what? Or should I say who? In the Spirit. And in your spirit. I think that's why it's a little S here. Is because it's supposed to be real from deep down. That you really get what God has done for you. And you can't help but express your gratitude and your excitement about that in some way. It may be different from you. Listen, I'm not judging the, the people that were on this side. The, the, most of them were on my, to my left. Um, I'm not judging those people at all. Because I could tell you, 
from our interaction the rest of the day, all those people were excited too. They were just as happy to have heard what they did, just as happy to go out and, and try to put it into practice and, and serve the Lord in that way as the people on this side of the room. Just very different ways of expressing that. The awesome part of it is that it's there. I think the awesome part is that God can bring people that different in terms of their background, their expression, their personality, and everything else, and unite them around a cause for the kingdom. And isn't that exactly what he's talking about right here? It's exactly what he's talking about. So, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice. Again, he gets down to, you know, it ought to sound like you're grateful and thankful for what God has done. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. On the way back yesterday, we were listening to a podcast by uh, Kerry Newhoff. He's an uh, author and, and minister up in Canada. And he was talking to another gentleman who grew up in Croatia, uh, grew up there when it was still part of Yugoslavia. And so he was talking about what it was like to grow up as a Christian in Croatia. And, uh, you know, his father had lived through the whole communist regime and all of that kind of stuff. And what what was all of that like? And one of the interesting things he said about a difference between the church where he was, which at one point had to be an underground church, I would think, uh, when they were under that communist regime. I know where we were, those things had to be, they were illegal, and so those things had to be hidden and secretive. We met a, a missionary one time from Macedonia who, yes, Mas- is that right? I'm, no, 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 Moldova. I'll get my M countries right in a minute, from Moldova. And during the communist regime, they had to be so secretive that they couldn't even know where all the house churches were. They had like four or five hundred people, I think it was, in their network of hidden secret churches. But they couldn't gather together all together once ever until the wall fell and and all of that started to fall apart. So, uh, you know, this guy was talking about what it was like to grow up in a similar circumstance to that. And this is one of the interesting things that he shared. He was talking about generosity and uh, taking care of each other. And that's in this verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. He said, you know, in the, in the Western church, us, the Western church, uh, people are still, there's still a lot of, from his perspective, there is still a lot of that looking out only for yourself attitude, a very selfish you know, my stuff is my stuff is my stuff is my stuff kind of an attitude in the church. And he was talking specifically about Christians, but it's a worldly attitude. It's, it fits right in with the culture around us. That's my stuff. He said the interesting thing was the Christians in the church where he was at that time didn't think that way. And even if it meant giving up security for the future, things like, you know, we would look at, well, I can't give that away. That's my retirement fund. starts to kind of sound like what Jesus rebuked about. Well, I can't give that away because that's Corbin given to God. Uh, He said there, if somebody had need, they had need. And the community took care of the need. The Christian community took care of the need. And it was not a matter of, well, are they worthy? It wasn't a matter. And he said the truth was it could be the single person everyone, everyone had dislike for, that they were just obnoxious and hard to be around and da-da-da-da, and they probably weren't going to be grateful and everything else. They said, but none of that mattered. What mattered was they had a need, we had the ability to fill that need, and God had called us to fill the need. And so we did. He said, I don't see that as much as I think we should in the Western church. 
Here, Paul is concerned about the church in Rome and says, you guys need to work on this. Take care of each other. Contribute to the needs of the saints and make sure that everybody's taken care of. That's what it means to live in Christian community. Not isolated lives where we rub elbows once a week, but if there's a need, you share the need. Now, that takes humbling on the other part too, doesn't it? Sometimes there's generous people and a generous church family, but hidden need where we are too proud to say, I need prayer. We're too proud to say, we need groceries. We're too proud to say, I just I need somebody to come and be Jesus in my life for a minute. I just need an ear or a prayer or whatever. And we're too proud for that. And that's where all of us have to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I'll take care of you and you take care of me. And we're going to grow together in Christ and be family. This is what the church really is supposed to be. That's what it means to be rooted in a Christian community. We make that promise when there's a baptism. We promise those people we will be there for them. And I believe we mean that. I believe this church very much means that. But on both sides, we could be better at making sure that happens. They could be better at letting us know when that need is there. We could all just do better at this and in communicating and and making sure that it's known and show hospitality. Interesting thing about hospitality in the New Testament is it doesn't mean just have your friends over for dinner. Sometimes it means total, complete strangers that you've never met before, which freaks Americans out in the 21st century. It didn't used to. It didn't used to. There was a time when in our culture that was practiced. But we're not there right now. I think Christians need to lead the way back to a better way of opening our lives up and opening our homes up and opening our hearts up to what God actually did intend us to be and intend us to do. Acts 2, 42-47 kind of goes right off of that thought coming out of Romans 12. And this is that you really do life together. And they did this from the moment they entered into the Christian family. This was what it was always meant to look like. This was their initial and ongoing response in the book of Acts to having received grace. And I know this is small, but it's Acts 2, 42 to 47. Uh, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this passage. This is the goal. This is what we're supposed to be. For them, this was the the initial response to having been filled with the Spirit, forgiven of their sins, and brought into the kingdom of God. This is what they naturally did. And this should still be. If we know the grace we've been given, and if we understand the gifts God's given us and what they were meant to be used for, this is what we'll look like. Look at what I've put in bold again. They devoted themselves. I can't answer this question for you. 
Only you can, and you and the Lord and the Spirit. But ask yourself some questions as we go through this. Simplest one, is that me? Look at yourself and ask yourself, is that me? They devoted themselves. I'm not even going to the to what yet. Just they devoted themselves. Do you see when you look in the mirror a person that you would describe as devoted to? The apostles' teaching. Are you spending your time in the Word? We talked about that just last week. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? And that doesn't just mean studying it. It also means living it. Are you devoted to fellowship? People? Together? Are you devoted to the breaking of bread? And in this particular case, this isn't the breaking of bread like the Lord's Supper. At this point, it is the breaking of bread together. Do you sit at the table with your brothers and sisters in Christ? We joke about that fellowship is more than a meal, but in Scripture, fellowship really was often a meal. And it wasn't the food. It was the time spent getting to know each other, growing together, building those bonds, deepening those bonds, deepening our roots in the Christian family. It's a deeply important thing, meeting at a table together with brothers and sisters in Christ. So breaking of bread and to prayer. Ask that. Is that me? Would that describe me in any way? All comes on them, and then what happens? We like the awe, right? Ooh, awe came on them. They were all excited and everything else. But what did that do? So all believed who believed were together. They just instinctively understood that the kingdom is a together life. There's no such thing as a lone Christian. It's Christians together in a family, in the kingdom, together. And so they came together. They had all things in common. That's meeting needs. They made sure that everybody had what they needed. If, if you need food and I've got food, well then, come and see me. That sort of a thing. They just got it together. Some of them sold their stuff and they used those proceeds to help other people who were in need. That is a common theme throughout the book of Acts. It ought to be a common theme throughout the life of the church and the book of Acts is still being written as Jesus continues to work and serve through Christians. And then they were able to praise the Lord all the time. If you want to see more praise in your life, see more obedience and service and growth in your relationship with other Christians in your life. Don't just share your hobbies. Share the Spirit. Share the Word. Share times in prayer. That's not being overly spiritual. That's being faithful to the Lord your God to whom you pledged your life at your baptism. I've got a video clip that I want to share with you. Some of you have seen this. I think I shared it about 10 years ago. That's kind of crazy to say, but it's true. Uh, about 10 years ago, I shared this video. It's by John Ortberg. Very short clip about um, how God has made us to live just the ways that Paul's described. Let's watch this together. One of the most famous research projects that's ever been done on relationships is called the Alameda County Study. It was headed by a Harvard social scientist, and it took place over a nine-year period. They tracked the lives of 7,000 people, residents of Alameda County in California. They found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die, three times more likely to die than the most relationally connected people. Very interesting findings. 
They discovered that people who had bad health habits, smoking, poor eating patterns, obesity, alcohol use, and so on, people that had bad health habits but strong relational connections lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, they found that it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Scientifically established now. (laughs) Written up. It's another study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It's the Journal of the AMA. They took 276 volunteers and infected them all with a virus that produces the common cold. In this study, uh, again, published in the Journal of the AMA, in this study they found that people with stronger emotional connections, deeper relationships, did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated. Those with stronger relational connections were less susceptible to colds, they shed less virus, and they produced significantly less mucus than relationally unconnected subjects. <laughs> I am not making this up. This is in this study. It is literally true. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> literally true. Now, I believe that studies like this are simply confirming at a biological level what the writers of Scripture taught a long time ago. You were created for community. You were made for relational connectedness. You were designed by God to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, to celebrate and be celebrated. And to miss out on this is to miss out on the reason why God made you. Whatever else you achieve, whatever else you accomplish, however much other stuff you pile up, however high you climb on the ladder, you miss this and you miss the reason why you were made. God really has created us to be together. He has created us to live in community, so much so that it even affects our immune system, it affects our health. That there are things you can withstand with good friends and family in a good church community that you cannot withstand as well, even if you're healthier and better fed and in better circumstances, alone. God may have been serious when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not. God created us to be a part of community But he didn't just expect us to be bowling partners. God created us for a living, active community, on mission, doing love and life and prayer and the Word together because it really makes an eternal difference and even an in-the-moment physical difference for our physical, spiritual, emotional health. It's what we were created for.